Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at MyBookie. I know you guys hear me talk about it every single episode, but make sure to jump in on the action while you still can. Still plenty of time left in this college football season, guys. NFL is still going hard. NBA is about to tip off. College basketball is less than a month away. So there's plenty of stuff to bet on, plenty of fun to be had, plenty of money to be made. And there is no better place to do that than at MyBookie. So sign up for a brand new account today. Use our promo code UGA for a 50% bonus on that first deposit for all new users or promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus up to $200 directly into your account. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and by week or not, it doesn't matter. I am back again. You guys know I'm not going to let you down. It's college football season, and during college football season, we talk college football. That's what we do. And after having to run an emergency, Brock Bowers is out four to six weeks pod earlier in the week. I am back today to answer all of your most pressing Georgia football questions. And as always the case, guys, you never let us down. You always have incredible questions, and we've got a great batch of them here today. I actually have to get to a Patton Oswalt show at the 40 watt here in about about an hour and a half. So I don't want to waste any more time. We got a lot of questions to get to, and I want to give them all the attention they deserve. So let's dive right in. And off the top today, our feature question comes from actually two guys, because they're two similar questions. At least I view them in a similar fashion. So we got a question from Trey and a question from Guy, two very longtime listeners. Always appreciate you guys. And Trey asks, first off, I believe that for most top teams, the cake is baked because of our large amount of roster turnover and infusion of youth. I don't believe that is the case for us. I would tend to agree, Trey. Where do you think the most improvement will be as we prepare for the stretch run? In a very similar fashion, Guy asks, defensively, where do you see the most room for improvement and what position groups or players are most likely to actually improve over the rest of the season? I view these questions as similar because when Trey asks, what do I think the most improvement will be as we prepare for the stretch run? I think it's got to be defensively. It needs to be defensively because guys, right now, our defense is behind our offense. Those are just facts. And when's the last time that we've said that? I think you could have made that argument last year, but to me, it's not even an argument that has to be made. It's just clear. 
And I know not everyone in the Georgia fan base wants to admit that because there are people in this fan base that are just programmed to hate on Mike Bobo no matter what evidence is presented to the contrary. Their minds are made up and there's nothing anyone can say or do. There are no numbers that can be presented. There's nothing they can see with their own two eyes that will convince them otherwise. But don't look now, guys. But the Georgia Bulldogs are in the top five nationally in total offense. The Georgia Bulldogs are in the top 10 in yards per play offense. If you look at the FEI ratings, which is essentially, it's an efficiency rating that shows you more or less how efficient offenses and defenses are from drive to drive. And right now, our FEI offensive efficiency is 1.29. Our defense efficiency is 0.86. I know 1.29 and 0.86 probably mean nothing to you if you aren't familiar with FEI, but let me just give you Georgia's numbers from last year for context and perspective on this. Last year, our overall FEI was 1.58. Our offensive FEI was 1.63 and defensive FEI was 1.64. In 2021, our defensive FEI was like 2.21. It was insane. But this year, it's all the way down at 0.86. Yes, the offensive numbers have dropped slightly from where they were last year, which makes sense when you're replacing potentially the greatest quarterback in George football history, even though Carson Beck has been fantastic. When you don't have the same weapons at running back, Dejan Edwards has been really good for us. He also missed the first couple of games. We don't have a guy like Kenny McIntosh, who is the threat in the passing game that Kenny was. And that's been one of the missing pieces of our offense, guys, right? Is not having that running back that can give us that in the pass game. Let McConkey miss a significant chunk of time. He had two two transfer receivers that were really working to get up to speed early in the season are getting closer to that. So I expect the offensive numbers to go down, but they have only gone down slightly. The defensive numbers, however, have absolutely plummeted from the past two seasons. And in a microcosm of that, the red zone efficiency of our defense has taken an absurdly massive hit. Guys, last year we were second nationally in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. When teams got into the red zone against us last year, they only scored touchdowns on 38% of those possessions. Does anybody know what it is this year? Has anybody looked at this? I know you know it's bad, right? Because you've actually watched these games. I know that you have, but do you know the actual numbers? Anyone? 119th. We are 119th in red zone touchdown percentage on the defensive side of the ball. We're allowing our opponents, when they get inside the red zone, to score touchdowns, not just score, to score touchdowns 73 freaking percent of the time. Guys, we only allowed teams to score in the red zone, period, field goal or touchdown, 67% of the time last year. We're giving up more touchdowns in the red zone this year than we did scores at all, overall touchdowns or field goals last year. That is an insane decline in red zone production from this defense. And then again, going back to the offense is why this hasn't been the problem. I know that we're a little bit more than half with your schedule and we have our toughest games coming up here the next five or six weeks. I understand that. We're going to play tougher teams. So the offensive numbers might go down a little bit. But if you look at where we are offensively right now, 509 yards per game on offense. What about last year? 501. This year, we are averaging 7.13 yards per play. Last year, 7.17. So anyone out there that's still convinced that Mike Bobo is the problem, I'm sorry. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but that's just wrong. That's just factually wrong. The defense is what has been the issue. Now, it's still a good defense relative to the rest of the country, but it's not as good as what we've seen the past couple of years from Georgia's defenses. Now, I know if you're looking at your typical basic stats, like yards per game allowed, yards per play allowed, 
the numbers still look pretty solid. If you look at yards per game, we're sixth nationally right now, giving up 262 yards per game. We're ninth nationally in yards per play, allowed, giving up only 4.39 yards per play. So from a total yards and yards per play standpoint, we actually look like we're on pace to be better than last year's defense. But I do believe that's misleading. I know in general, our schedule has been pretty light, but we have faced some decent defenses, right? Kentucky's defense is, that's a good solid defense. I think that's an upper tier SEC defense. Auburn's defense, not elite, but that's a good solid SEC defense that our offenses had to, had to go against. But three of the four SEC offenses that we have faced, guys, have been 93rd or worse in total offense. Kentucky, Auburn, Vanderbilt have been 93rd in total offense. And our defense right now is allowing those teams to score touchdowns in the red zone 73% of the time. And again, I'm not saying our defense is bad. Our defense is good. It's a, it's a good defense with really good, really talented football players. Really, the issue more than anything has been the red zone problems. That is what is destroying our efficiency numbers on defense. And for good reason. If you cannot stop teams from scoring touchdowns when they get in the red zone, you are not going to beat the better teams on your schedule. You can get away with it against Auburn. You can get away with it against Vanderbilt. You can get away with it against Kentucky because you're just that much physically better than those teams. But are you going to get away with it against Ole Miss? Are you going to get away with it against Tennessee on the road? Are you going to get away with it potentially in an SEC championship game if we can get there? The answer is probably not. Because the gap in physical talent is not as great with those teams as it has been with the teams that we have played in the in the league to this point. So Trey, to answer your question, where do I believe the most improvement will be as we prepare for the stretch run? I would really like to believe that it is our defensive red zone efficiency. It needs to be that. If we can improve in the red zone and get back to even just decent levels of red zone defense efficiency, this the defensive efficiency numbers overall are going to go significantly up and that's going to help us. We're going to start blowing out teams more so than we have to this point, like all of you want us to, and like I want us to, like we have done the past couple years, if we can stop giving up touchdowns in the red zone. If we start holding teams to field goals, then that changes the dynamic. If we hold South Carolina field goals, I mean, we still don't blow them out because offensively, we didn't have our best game, certainly in the first half of the game. We looked better in the second half, but you win that game 24-6 instead of 24-14. If we hold Auburn to field goals in the red zone, we beat them, what, about 27-13 or so? It's a two-touchdown win, and while that still wouldn't be enough to satisfy most Georgia fans, it's also not going to cause the panic that it did in some parts of the fan base. It's not going to lead to as many questions of, oh, is Georgia the best team in the country? Should Georgia still be number one? Vanderbilt, same thing. If we can hold them to field goals in the red zone, we win that game 37-13 or so, which again is still not up to what everyone's standard is now for this program, but it's, it's a different looking animal than what the final score ultimately was. Now, do I think we will improve in our defensive red zone efficiency? This is one of those things, I usually hate this phrase, this phrase that it can't get worse, right? Because it, it always can get, te- technically it can get worse, right? But when you look at 73%, 119th in the country, it really truly cannot get much worse. So I'm going to break my own rule here and kind of use that phrase. Like, I don't know if it can get much worse, especially relative to where we were the past couple of seasons. You know, last year, again, number two nationally in that statistic. It's going to improve. It needs to improve. At least I want it to improve, guys. I believe it will improve. Why do I believe it will improve? I do think that we're going to get improved play from our inside linebackers. We're starting to see them play at a higher level than they had earlier in the season. Now, we know there are still some issues at inside linebacker. You know, Pop is Pop is what Pop is. He's a good player, but there, there are still some issues there, some awareness issues really more than anything, which is just 
baffles me at times. We have what we have on the defensive line. We don't have that overwhelming dominant defensive line that we've had the past couple years. I think that does hurt our red zone efficiency because what do teams need to be able to do offensively to score in the red zone, score touchdowns? You need to be able to run the football. And we're still good against the run. We're certainly relative to the rest of the country, but we all know we're not as good against the run as we have been in years past against teams that can actually run the football. I mean, Vanderbilt cannot run the football, guys. All, you know, I told you coming into that week that their offensive line, it, it, we were going to dominate that that battle because they're just not SEC caliber. That's the reality. But we saw what Auburn did. I know that was a little bit of a different kind of rushing attack. And I know Vanderbilt's final numbers didn't look that great running the football, but in those first two possessions, Ray Davis was having some success running the football, but we just jumped out to that early lead and it kind of snowballed them with some penalties and turnovers. And then before you know it, they're just so far out of the game that they kind of had to more or less abandon what they wanted to do offensively running that football. So I think that kind of contributed to it. But he was having some decent success, not what he did against Florida, but some decent success in the first couple drives of that game. So that is just going to be the case this year. We're not going to be as good against the runs. We don't have Jalen Carter. We don't have Jordan Davis. We don't have Devontae Wyatt. We don't have Javon Walker. We have some good run defenders. We have Michael Williams. I think he's playing at a much higher level on the uh, on the edge there. I, do, I really do love what we're getting from Warren Brinson and Christian Miller. I think those guys have been really good, disruptive players for us. Very active, energetic guys. Zion Logan is what he is. He's a good, solid piece out there, but he's a complimentary guy. He's not a difference maker. I love Nas Stackhouse. I think he does a really good job doing what he's asked to do there at that zero-tech position, holding that point of attack. But he's also not the difference maker that Jordan Davis was. He never has been. He wasn't that guy last year, but he was a really good player for us. And you have Jordan Carter next to him. It it certainly creates a situation where we're still going to be really good against the run. We don't have that alpha dude on the interior right now. So I do think that's a big part of what's hurting us with our red zone efficiency defensively. And I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that we're going to ever come anywhere near being as good as we were last year holding teams to field goals in the red zone because of that. That's really what it comes down to. But we absolutely can be better than what we have been. I have to imagine that is going to be a significant focus of this bye week. We have got to rectify that. And guys, nobody knows that more than Kirby Smart. Like if I know it, he knows it. Trust me, he knows far more about this than I do. He understands that. And I know they're doing everything they possibly can to get that rectified. But at some point you do, like I said, you kind of have the guys that you have on that defensive front and they're good players. They're really good football players. But are they the kind of guys that are just going to bow their necks and stuff the run when you get in the red zone? They've done it from time to time, but not nearly as consistently as we've seen from Georgia defenses in the recent past. Here's one more thing I will throw out there. I'm going to go away from the defense here. Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. An area where I think that we're going to see a lot of improvement down this stretch run would be wide receiver play. Wide receiver play has been solid all year. I think we, we've, we've seen certainly improvement week in and week out. Ra Ra Thomas continues to improve and learn more about this offense and get more comfortable and adjust to, to this change and going from the air raid to what we run, this more pro-style system. Dominic Lovett started the season. He was ahead of Ra Ra Thomas playing a different position, but you can still tell he wasn't clearly fully comfortable. And it's also different from him not being the feature guy when you have Brock Bowers and a lot of things that he did at Missouri we were using Brock to do. We have basically relegated Dominic Lovett to the RPO game, more or less. That's what this guy has done. Most of his receptions have come off of RPOs. Obviously, none of us want to see Brock Powers go down. That does not even need to be said out loud, but it's the case, right? But with Brock out, I think you're going to start to see us use a guy like Dominic Lovett in the ways that Missouri used him last year that made him their leading receiver. You're going to see him do some slot fades. You're going to see him work from the slot across the middle of the field and drop back pass situations, not just in the RPO game, not just in the screen game. Lab McConkie coming back healthy now. The healthier he gets, the better the wide receiver play is going to be. He's our best receiver, guys. I mean, when he's healthy, he is that guy. Ra Ra Thomas 
has shown improvement almost on a weekly basis, and that is going to continue to be the case. And with Brock out, those guys are going to get more opportunities. They're going to be featured more than they were when Brock was was playing the first half of the season. So I think you're going to see a, a rise in the, in the play of our wide receivers. Really, more things is they're going to get more opportunities. I think they've always been able to do it, but they're going to need more opportunities. So I think you're going to see that position group start to make more of an impact on this team than they have to this point in the season. So I think that might be offensively an area where you're going to see significant improvement. A couple of weeks ago, I would have said running the football, but we've already started to see that. We had 291 yards rushing against Vanderbilt, which is a season high. We ran the ball well against Kentucky. Deja now has 200-yard games on the season. So we've started to make some strides there. If Kendall Milton can continue to stay healthy, I feel good about our running game. We just got to see what we do without Brock. And I think the receivers are going to be the ones that are going to step up and they're going to take that step for this offense so we can continue to hum on that side of the football. I do also want to address Guy's question. I know I kind of use these as as twin featured questions because they were similar. But Guy wants to know, again, what position groups on the defensive side of the ball, position groups or players, are most likely to actually improve over the rest of the season? I'm going to say our edge play. Specifically, I'm going to say Jack, outside linebacker play. I don't know if you guys count the snap totals, but Chaz Chambliss played 17 snaps against Vanderbilt last weekend. Marvin Jones Jr., played 17 snaps against Vanderbilt last weekend, evenly split. That is the first time that has happened. Honestly, it's the first time it's really even come close to happening this season. We're starting to see Marvin Jones Jr. earn more of the trust of the coaches, and we're starting to see him eat more into the snaps of Chaz Chambliss. You guys know we've talked about Chaz Chambliss many times on this show. Chaz has value on this team. I'm glad that Chaz is a player within the Georgia football program, but Chaz clearly has some physical limitations. Marvin Jones Jr. is clearly a more physically gifted player than Chaz Chambliss is. It's just a matter of Marvin getting up to speed. Guys, guys, he didn't play much last year. He was dealing with a labrum injury all year, had off-season labrum surgery. He missed all spring practice, came back and wasn't completely full go right away in fall camp, but he's he's over that now. But he's had to, he's missed so many reps, right? Especially a young, a young guy essentially a redshirt freshman, right? Second year guy. He missed reps last year during the season. He missed all the reps during spring practice, missed some reps during fall camp. So he's still a young guy in the stages of development of his career, but he's starting to take on more of a role. He's starting to flash. He's starting to show what kind of plays he can make. And if he continues to take those strides and take those steps, okay, Watch out, because that could be a game changer. He is a guy from that position that actually has some legit pass rushing ability. Chas doesn't really have that. He's an effort guy. He works really, really hard. I respect him so much that he's a physical guy. I respect him for that. But pass rushing, explosiveness off the edge as a pass rusher, that's not what Chas Chambliss is. That's not where his value is. That's not what he gives you. Marvin can give you more of that. I don't know if Marvin's going to be an elite SEC edge rusher, but he certainly has more of a chance to do that, to be that, than Chas Chambliss does because he has the more of the physical tools to be able to do that. Damon Wilson's another guy. We're starting to see him get more and more reps. He's not playing a ton, but we're starting to see him out there in, in actual meaningful situations. That is a positive sign. And the bye week is huge, guys, for these young guys that have played a little bit, but haven't played a ton. This is a chance for them to just show the coaches what they can do. Because this week, we're not really working on Florida. We'll, we'll start to watch some film later in the week, but we're working on us. We're doing some just physical stuff out there. We're getting guys reps, more reps than they normally would get, and we're trying to take strides, trying to get better. And you see some of those young guys who have played some, but not a ton. 
This is a week where they can really take those strides and show the coaches that I can be trusted. You can put me in there and I know what to do. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not going to blow an assignment and I'm going to let my natural ability just go to work. And maybe come on this bye week, we see more, even more of Marvin Jones Jr. Maybe we see even more of Damon Wilson. I would certainly love for that to be the case. So that would be the position group on defense that I would say, I think there's a chance that we'll see the most improvement. Maybe we say cornerback, Kamari's been really good. I think Dalen Everett's starting to come on. I still need to see it on a more consistent basis, but he, the past couple of weeks, he's played at a much higher level. He seems more confident out there. He seems to be more in control and knowing what to do. So I think that could be an area we see improvement, but I'm, I'm going to stick with the Jack linebackers there. But all right, guys, before we move on to our next question, we got a ton more to go to. I do want to once again remind you about our friends at MyBookie, guys. When you're putting your money on the line, trust has to be at the top of the list of things that matter. When you're trying to decide, okay, who am I going to bet with? Who am I going to put my money into? And that's where my bookie shines, guys. My bookie is a sports book that you can trust. They have incredible customer service. They have a great reputation in the sports betting industry. And now they have a ton of betting tools for you guys to use. They have the new cash out early option. They have a ton of live betting options, which I've been getting more into because, you know, it's college football, guys. And college football is just a crazy sport, man. It's really hard to predict as we're finding out with our picks episodes this year. Uh, it's been frustrating. But you know what? Live betting. It saves you because you're watching. Okay, this team is better than that team, but they did not come to play today. So let's let's adjust our thinking. So you have those options as well. And right now, guys, you have two great promo codes to choose from. You can use our exclusive promo code UGA to get a 50% bonus on that first deposit if you are a new user. But if you want to avoid the playthroughs, then you can use the promo code 200CASH to get a 10% cash bonus straight to your account. You can avoid the playthroughs and that's up to $200. But jump in on the action today, guys, at mybookie.ag and bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. All right, guys, let's go to a question from Darren. Always appreciate it, Darren. Darren asks, should the upside vision for this team look more like 2019 LSU than 2021 or 2022 Georgia? Like that LSU team, we have a potentially lethal passing game and a smaller running back. Both defenses good, but not dominant. I certainly see the parallels, Darren, and I actually kind of agree with you. Like I laid out in the, in the first two questions, those featured questions, this offense is ahead of our defense right now. Now, is that always going to be the case? It, it could change, sure, but right now we haven't seen any reason to think why it would change. We're seven games in the season, guys. Right now, this offense is performing at a much more efficient level, consistent level, than our defense is. So I, I certainly see that. Now, is this offense 2019 LSU good? No, no, we, do, we don't have Joe Burrow. We don't have those kind of receivers. It's a good offense, a top five offense right now, top five, top 10, depending on what statistical measure you want to look at. But it's not like like number one across the board like LSU was. That was just an insane, maybe one of the best offenses I've ever seen at the college level. But I, I do get your point. Our offense is leading the team. Defense is good, but not dominant. I, I think our defense might be better than that 2019 LSU defense. So they had really good players. They just didn't always play up to their talent level. But I, I, I would give our defense a slight edge here. But your point does stand. And yeah, I mean, this is not going to be the 2021 Georgia team, obviously, because this that team was clearly led by our defense. Our offense was better than people gave it credit for, but it was clearly a defensively led team. Last year, it was pretty neck and neck. It was a really, really good offense and a really, really good defense. And so it was, you'll get efficiency numbers. It was right there neck and neck. 
but our defense was, was playing at a higher level than it's playing at right now, in my opinion. So yeah, if you're going to go at this from a, okay, the offense is clearly going to be the best part of your team perspective, then yeah, I think it would be more like more like the LSU, not, not a carbon copy of that LSU team in 2019, but more like that than either the last two Georgia National Championship teams. All right, going to the next question here from Adam. Adam asks, what is allowing teams to have more success passing against us this year? Defensive line or DBs? Well, Adam, I really appreciate the question, but I'm honestly not sure that I think that teams are having more success throwing the football against us this year than they were last year. Now, it's tough to compare because if you look at the numbers from last year, I want to throw out numbers, right? But if you look at the numbers from last year, you're taking a full season from 2022 and a partial season from 2023 where we haven't played the best teams on our schedule. So it's not exactly apples to apples here, but I can give you the numbers. So last year, we gave up 219 yards passing per game, 6.5 yards per attempt. Quarterbacks completed 57.5% of the passes against us, and their quarterback rating was an average of 117. This year, right now, through seven games, we're giving up an average of 171 yards passing per game, 5.1 yards per attempt, 55% completion percentage, and 100 quarterback rating. Now, I do think that is skewed. I don't know if it's completely fair to look at those numbers, compare them to last year, because Auburn cannot complete the forward pass. We know this. <laughs> it is an ugly look for them offensively. So that kind of skews the passing numbers there. Kentucky cannot throw the football. I mean, Devin Leary, I mean, that guy is just falling apart in that Kentucky offense. Spencer Rattler is still really, really good. And Xavier Leggett is awesome. So, I mean, that, that was a good solid passing attack. But their offensive line is a train wreck and they can't keep him upright. They can't protect him. Vanderbilt's okay throwing the football. They're okay offensively. They're still one of the lower rated teams in the SEC in most passing categories. So, yeah, we just really haven't played a ton of teams that can really challenge us through the air. And I know there have been some, some moments where teams have been able to complete the ball down the field on us. And you're like, okay, what's happening here? Why is that happening? But I I don't know if I can sit here and say that teams are having more success passing against us this year. I don't believe that is the case. Now, when we play Missouri in a couple of weeks, we play Florida even next week, potentially that could be the case. Missouri guys, they throw the football like crazy, man. I mean, Brady Cook, he's completely changed his throwing motion this year, and he is a different guy. He's throwing the ball like Patrick Mahomes right now. That's not what he was doing the past couple of years. That's why it's really what's changed with him. And Luther Burden helps too, leading the SEC. At least coming in last week was leading the SEC in receiving. You got Theo Weiss, got some good, uh, Mookie Cooper got some good complimentary options there that could be lead receivers for other teams. So that's going to be a, a challenge for us, and we'll see what happens there. But to this point, I know that the offenses haven't been, haven't been good throwing the football. UAB throws the football well. They were top 10 in the country coming into that game throwing the football. Dropped off a little bit, but they're still a good passing offense with, with, with Jacob Zeno back there. But I just don't think we've really played anyone. So I don't know that our passing defense has actually been worse this year. So I don't exactly know how to answer that question. Here's what I will do. All right. So when teams have been able to throw the football against us, what has been the issue? Has it been more defensive line, more DBs? I side on the defensive line side of things. I, I just don't think, for how many years in a row, guys, have we been talking about this? We don't have the elite national pass rushers. We do not have those guys. Michael Williams is, is a really good pass rusher, but we don't always turn him loose. It's really, it's, it's partly a philosophical thing, strategic thing, than what we do defending the run first, and, and also partly a personnel thing. We just don't really have the, those elite edge rushers right now in the way that some teams do around the country. And that hurts us because we can still rush the passer and disrupt the passing game but we have to bring pressure to be able to do that. We have to get creative. We have to take guys out of coverage. And we don't always bring more than four. Sometimes we have to. But when you're bringing guys from the secondary, when you're bringing linebackers, what it does, even if you're only bringing four, it messes with the structural integrity of your defense. And that 
creates issues for your defense and allows teams to find holes in that defense. When you're dropping guys like Chash Chambliss in the coverage, you're trying to get creative and try to bring pressure in different ways. Chash Chambliss in coverage, he's a body out there, but he's not, I mean, he's not really going to cover anybody, not on a consistent basis. So I do think our consistent year after year inability to really get after quarterbacks with a natural pass rush, that continues to be a problem. You can only cover guys so long, man. I mean, seriously, you can only cover players so long when you think about all the, the way the rules have been adjusted to favor offenses, you, you can't, I mean, now college, you can certainly be more physical than you can at the NFL level, but there's still only so much you can do. Those, those referees have a, they are trigger happy throwing pass interference flags. Now, a lot of times it's not really offensive pass interference. They don't ever want to call that. They rarely call that, but they're trigger happy with that. So there's only so much you can do in the, in the quarterback sitting back there four five, six seconds, and they're not getting a natural pass rush. It's tough, man. It's really, really tough. So I'm not saying our DBs have been perfect, but I think our defensive line and that lack of a natural pass rush has certainly been more of an issue for us for not just this year, for a couple of years when it comes to the pass defense. All right, next up, James asks, what can we do to fix our red zone defense? So I, I kind of already addressed this, but James, I mean, it is, it's a really good question, man. I think this is the question of the hour going to the bye week. I, I really believe that, guys. I think more than anything, what do we need to do coming out of the bye week? Fix the freaking red zone defense. I know that we need to figure out who we're going to feature on offense in the absence of Brock Bowers. That's important too, but I think we have more more options there. Like we know, okay, we, we can feature Ladd McConkey if he's healthy. We can feature Don McLove. He's been that guy in Missouri. Oscar Delp is gonna he's gonna get more opportunities to do what Brock was doing, which is kind of what he's built to do. Rara Thomas is a guy that led Mississippi State in receiving last year. So that is certainly gonna be a priority, but is it the priority? For me, no. For me, it's gotta be that red zone defense. So what can we do to fix it? Again, to go back to what I was saying earlier, we largely have who we have from a personal standpoint, especially inside the front six. Now, we could change some things at, at edge, at jack. Sure, of course, you can do that. But we have the guys that we have, largely. Now, I'm going to say something that I don't know if I've ever really said about the Georgia defense. And this is just my opinion, guys. This is just me. I'm not saying it's a consistent thing, but there are times when I'm watching this Georgia defense, especially in the red zone, and I'm wondering aloud to myself, Where's the effort? Is the effort where it needs to be? And I'm not saying across the board, but from time to time, I'm looking at some of these players. I'm like, are you giving maximum effort? Are you doing all that you can do to stop this offensive play from being successful? And sometimes I think the answer is no. And that's something that's easily fixed. You just put it on tape and you say, fellas, this isn't good enough. This is not our standard. Fix it or you aren't playing. And I know that Kirby sees. I see it, guys. I mean, and maybe I'm just imagining things. I don't know. I'm curious to see if any of you have seen some of the same things. Again, I'm not saying it's an every down thing or a consistent thing, but there are times where I get the feel watching what I'm seeing out there, especially in the red zone, that the effort's just not where I'm typically accustomed to seeing the effort level from a Georgia defense. And that that's weird, man, because that's not something I've really ever said in my life about a Kirby Smart defense. And I'm I'm questioning that at times. Now, from a philosophical standpoint, from an X's and O's standpoint, we've been playing a lot more zone. Against Vanderbilt, we played a ton of zone. We're traditionally a man team. We're playing more zone than we traditionally do. So maybe that's something that we need to look at. Go back to more man coverage. The problem, though, with man coverage in the red zone is what do teams, when they throw in the football, what do they like to do in the red zone? Well, there's really two things. They like to throw fades, right? And then they like to run rub routes. That's what they want to do. All right, they want to pick you. And it's really it's harder to pick defenders when you're in a zone coverage, when you're man coverage, that is, you're playing right into their hands if they're trying to do a bunch of rub routes. So I think that's a big part of why in the red zone we've 
calling away. I'm not saying we don't run man in the red zone. We do, but we're playing, we're doing more zone than we have in years past. I think that's probably a big part of why we're doing that is the rub route stuff because we've been hurt by that in years past. But right now, we're seeing teams find holes in the zone at times. We're also seeing more bust when it comes to zone coverage because there's more thinking that goes on with zone coverage than there is with man coverage. Typically with man, it's certainly, you know, different coverages, you know, guys go in motion, different things, you got to pass things off, but it's just usually like, okay, here's my man. I got to cover this guy. With zone, there's, there's all sorts of variations and different things that you got to do. And if one guy screws up the zone coverage, and is playing man when it should be zone, or if he's in the wrong zone and does the, the wrong thing, then that's a blown assignment. You got a touchdown, like you saw against Vanderbilt. So, from an X's and O's standpoint, that might be something that's worth exploring. I'm sure our coaches are certainly looking into that as well. All right, next question. Let's go to Josh. Great question here. Josh says, I think COVID caused a huge separation in competition, and now the gap is closing again, especially with transfers. I do think that's a, that's a pretty astute observation there, Josh. I agree with you on that. You can go from being terrible to actually being decent pretty quick with a transfer portal. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And Josh goes on to ask, Vanny looked not terrible. Is the fan base overreacting to this Georgia team's struggles, quote unquote, I think so. Yeah, Josh, I, I wrote an article for Dogs Daily, which I, if you haven't read, I would encourage you guys to read. I think I put it out there. Um, I retweeted it from uh, my Twitter account. And it was an opinion piece where I was trying to put the Vanderbilt win in perspective. And I, it's just, I said a lot of those things on the recap episode, talking about yardage margin. It was uh, our highest rushing total this season. It was the most rushing yards Vanderbilt had given up. It was the most total yards Vanderbilt had given up. We ha- held Vanderbilt to their fewest total yards all season long. So essentially what, I'm, what my argument is, we dominated Vanderbilt from a down-to-down basis more than any other team they've played all season long. Now, of course, we should do that because it's freaking Vanderbilt. The final score was not necessarily indicative of how much we dominated that game on a down-to-down basis. That's my simple argument there. So yes, anyone coming out of the Vanderbilt game saying Georgia quote-unquote struggled, I think that's a bit strong. I do, because really it's two plays, right? I mean, it's one blown coverage by Tyke Smith and a tip ball interception that was run back to the one-yard line that gave them 14 points. And neither one of those things are enduring issues for this Georgia football team. Tyke does not blow coverages on the regular like that, right? Carson Beck, tip ball interception, that's as fluky as it gets, okay? That's as fluky as it gets. If those plays don't happen, it's what? 37-7, 37-6? And oh yeah, by the way, that's without the best player in college football for an entire half of the game, more than a half of the game, without your starting right tackle, the true freshman playing right tackle for half the game. With Kendall Milton, who was cooking prior to having to go out with an MCL injury, he had to go sit out again because his MCL tightened up. So I I told you guys on the recap episode, I have I was not concerned coming out of that game. Like, would I like the final score a little better? Sure, of course. But Vanderbilt was never in that game, not even remotely, guys. Not even remotely were they ever going to even come close to winning that football game. And I think we did a lot of of really good things in that game. So yes, I I totally agree with this idea that we're struggling. Now, are we as dominant as we have been the past two years? No, I do not think that we are. But does that mean that we're struggling? No, it just means that we aren't as good as we were in 2021 and 2022. I mean, that's just the reality right now, guys. Yeah, we're still the number one team in the country, but we are not playing anywhere near as crisply and consistently on both sides of the ball. Now, offensively, we're playing at a high level right now, especially defensively. We're just not playing like we were the past couple years. Now, there's still some time. Time is starting to run out. I don't know how much longer we can say that, but this team can continue to get better and improve, and the bye week will certainly help with that. But I, 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 don't, I don't know if I would call it struggling. 
We're just not the same team that we were the past years. And as I've said a couple of times, we don't have to be. We just have to be the best team this year. There's also many other teams that I don't think are as good as they have been the past couple of years. Ohio State is not as good as they were last year. Alabama, not even close to as good as they have been the past couple of years. Even last year, Michigan is a good football team. I'm not sure Michigan is playing as well as they did for most of last year. So yeah, Josh, I do agree that this idea that Georgia is quote-unquote struggling is being played up a little bit too much. All right, guys, before we move into the last couple questions here, I do want to quickly remind you about our friends at Alumni Hall. The weather is chilly, guys. I love it. You might not love it. My wife hates it, but I love it. And I love it because I get to go to Alumni Hall and accessorize, man. I get to go get the the newest pullovers, the newest hoodies, the newest fleece, all the newest, best cold weather gear. It's on the shelves now, guys. More and more stuff's coming in by the day. So if you're like me and you like to get yourself a nice jacket, I have a problem. It's okay. I own it. Go to Alumni Hall, guys. They got jackets. They've got hoodies. They've got pullovers. They've got zip-ups, full zips. They've got fleeces, whatever you're looking for, they're going to have it, guys. Alumni Hall is the best Georgia retailer anywhere on planet Earth. They're going to have you covered, the best customer service anywhere. So stop in today inside the Etchbridge Shopping Center here in the Classic City, or if you're not in the Athens area, no worries. You can just go to alumnihall.com. They have all the same great gear they have in store right there for you from the comfort of your own home. So make sure to check them out today, guys, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. Hey, I'm Nate Thurston, and I'm supposed to write a 30-second ad that tells you everything you need to know about my podcast, Good Morning Liberty, which I co-host with Charlie, my best friend of 20 years. That's a tough feat to accomplish, but let's give it a shot. At Good Morning Liberty, we cover the news every day from an individual liberty perspective. We believe that you own yourself, and a tyrannical, overreaching government is the biggest threat to your liberty. If you agree, you can find a new episode every day of the week on your podcast app or by going to BernieLies.com in your browser. All right, our next question comes from Jack. Always appreciate it, Jack. Jack asks, Carson is on pace for 4,000 passing yards in 15 games. Will he hit that mark? Why or why not? Jack, I have every reason to believe that the answer is yes. If we play 15 games. Now, that's the that's the bigger question I have right now. If we play 15 games, I feel strongly that Carson will do. I know the argument against that would be, well, what about Brock Bowers not being in the game? But like I said earlier, we've we got weapons, man, and... And Oscar Dupp is not Brock Bowers. Hear me when I say that, guys. He's not Brock Bowers. I'm not trying to suggest he is. But Oscar Dupp's skill set is far more aligned with what Brock Bowers' skill set is than what Darnell Washington's skill set was. And we've been asking him to do what Darnell Washington basically did for us the past couple of years. Now we're going to ask him to do more of what Brock has done for us, which is he is far more equipped to do. So then you see Oscar Dupp not not be Brock Bowers, but be more than an adequate replacement in the short term for Brock Bowers. We have plenty of options there. So if we get to 15 games, yes, Carson is going to do it. He's playing better and better really by the week. I know it wasn't his crispest game necessarily against Vanderbilt, but this guy is locked in, man. I'm telling you guys, watch him. Go back and watch the tape. This dude is locked in. He's processing at an extraordinarily high level. Every game he gets, he gets more experiences. He sees more coverages. He sees more ways defenses are going to try to attack him. He gets more pressure looks at him. He gets more pressure in his face, and he has to handle that, and he has to adapt to it and adjust to it. He just gets more reps, and he's getting better and better with every single game. Now, I know there are some frustrations out there with the deep ball accuracy, not hitting all of those, and I'd share those to a degree. I would like us to see, I like to see us hit on those at a higher rate, 
but no quarterback hits 100% of those. And that's always what I say. Like, it's weird how fans, and not just the Georgia fans, but fans of every fan base feel like every other team's quarterback hits like 100% of their wide open deep balls, and that's just not the case. So when your quarterback misses one, it's like, everybody else hits them. It's like, no, they don't. I mean, if you guys watched the Washington-Oregon game last week, as good as Michael Penix is, he missed more than a couple of those deep shots on the field where guys were open. It happens. Those are those are lower percentage throws, guys. But yeah, I mean, I will admit there have been some throws that I would like to see him hit down the field that I do think he's going to hit as the season progresses. But Carson, by and large, guys, has been awesome. And if we do play 15 games, I, I honestly don't know how in the world he's not going to throw for 4,000 yards. All right, next up, we got a question from Claywell. Clay asks, or Claywell asks, we only replaced two starters in the secondary. What is with the seemingly high number of bust in coverage? I think the key word there, Claywell, is seemingly. There have been some busts. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, a high-profile one against Vanderbilt where we allowed them to go for a touchdown when Tyke Smith is playing man coverage when everybody else is playing zone. That is That can't happen. I mean, it's as simple as that. That cannot happen against anybody. We were able to recover from it against Vanderbilt because it's Vanderbilt. But against, again, Missouri, Ole Miss, you can't do those things. You can't do that kind of stuff. So there have been instances of that. That's not the only instance. That's just the most high profile, at least the most recent instance of that. So there, it has happened. I just don't know if it's been like a high number of busts. There have been busts. I just don't know if it's been a significant number. But when it happens... You're right, we're only replacing two starters, but here's here's the thing. A lot of these guys are playing out, not out of position, they're playing in different spots. So Javon Bullard played a lot for us last year, right? Started most of the season at star, but now he's playing safety. Now, this guy understands the defense inside now. I fully understand that, but it's also different. There's there's different adjustments for him at safety. There's different responsibilities. He's covering different guys. Tyke Smith didn't play a ton for us at all last year. He was on the team, but he didn't play a ton. So that's got to be a factor there. Dalen Everett's brand new. He played a little bit last year for us. He's starting for the very first time. I mean, the only two guys you have in the secondary that are really actually playing the same positions they played last year are Malachi Starks and Kamari Lassiter. And here's another thing. I think some of the busts have come from inside linebackers, in particular, particular, an inside linebacker by the name of Jamon Dumas Johnson. And Curtis and I talked about this on the recap episode. One of the reasons you're seeing maybe more bust is because he's on the field more. This guy is playing on third downs fairly consistently. He didn't play on third downs hardly at all last year. And we talked about how I, I, don't, I still don't understand it. It's not for me to understand, I guess. I don't know. They know more than me, but it's just weird. Not only is he physically limited in terms of his ability to cover guys, he also busts. He does. So I think that is more of a, at least in that isolated case, that instance, that position, that's a personnel choice. Now, I do think that's something that we need to reconsider going to the bio. I guess the thinking is, all right, we, we think that Pop is a better player than Dan Jackson or David Daniel right now. I know David Daniel is dealing with an injury and maybe that's the calculus, but if it is, I mean, really? Is, is he? Is he a better cover guy? He's a better player overall, sure, but is he a better cover guy in those situations on third downs? I, I think that needs to be re-examined. All right, a couple more here, guys. We got a question from Jamie. Long-time listener. Always appreciate it, Jamie. Jamie asked, what is it going to take for the downfield shots to start hitting? Is it Carson? Is it the receivers? We cannot sustain constant 15-play drives. I do agree with you, Jamie. This is one of the things that I... I don't want to say I'm concerned because our offense has been playing at a really high level, but you're right about the sustaining 15-play drives. That's not sustainable against better teams. It's just not. 
that's math, guys, right? Like, you have a better chance of scoring on a two-play drive than having to go and grind out a 15-play drive because there's more opportunities for something to go wrong. You have to get more first downs. So you wanted those explosive plays. And we've hit some explosive plays, but not a ton of them have been like vertical shots down the field. I will certainly grant you that. I do agree with that. And I think it's been a combination of things. There have been certain points where Carson had had guys open. He just missed them. That certainly has happened from time to time. There have been a number of receivers that were open who who did not catch the football. Arian Smith, again, most recently against Vanderbilt. Carson put that ball in the money. We dialed that play up. You also saw Mike Bobo in the, uh, in the press box, like, just slam his hands down, like, just screaming frustration because you got to make that catch. And that's not the first time this happened. Arian did the same thing against Kentucky. Carson put the ball in the money. Arian just dropped the freaking football. So it's not always Carson. Sometimes it has been Carson. There have been guys that are open, and he has not hit that. Again, I go back to what I was saying earlier about this. Those are low percentage throws. We still need to hit them. We need to hit those layups. And even if you got to make the receiver slow down and you don't hit him in stride, obviously you want to hit him in stride so you can keep the ball running and you go into the end zone and score a touchdown. But you got to complete them regardless. So if you if you got to make him slow down and come back to the football, that's fine. we got to start hitting those. So Carson's got to be more consistent. Receivers should be more consistent. All the way around, everyone involved in the passing game has got to be more consistent with that because there is more than enough blame to go around when it comes to our inability to at least consistently hit those deep balls. We hit a couple of them. We hit one to Dominic Lovett last week against Vanderbilt. But also, I, I will say this too. We haven't dialed up a ton of deep vertical shots for our receivers. We're typically doing that with Brock, and we're not running Brock on like fade routes, right? Like he's not lining up like like an X and running a fade route. That's not what we're doing with him. We're running him across the middle on deep dig routes, dagger routes, those types of things. And Carson is excellent at those. And those aren't like vertical deep shots, but you're throwing the ball 15, 20, 25 yards down the field on those. And we're getting explosive plays, like run after the catch off those, but we just haven't really honestly dialed up a ton of deep vertical shots. And then when we have, again, sometimes it's been Carson that's been the problem. Sometimes it's been the receiver's been the problem. We just got to find more consistency doing that. We're going to need that. We are going to need to be hit some more explosive plays down the field as we progress through the stretch run of this season. And finally, we've got a question from Calvin. I, I This is a question I think that we get usually at least once a year. And it's cool, man. I love answering this question because I do travel to all the games and I... I love road games, guys. I mean, I love being in Sanford Stadium. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm an Athens guy. I live in Athens. I love being in Sanford Stadium. It's like my home away from home. But road games are fun because you have to go to a place that you don't normally get to go to, right? At least only once every couple of years. You are in enemy's territory, which I think is fun. Man, I soak that stuff up. I love people talking trash to me, heckling me. I eat it up, man. It's like, I feel like, I'm not, I know I'm not part of the team. You kind of feel like you're in it, like you're in the trenches with the team when you do that. And let's be real, guys. The past couple of years, hey, man, I'm a proud Georgia fan. Even before we won national championships, I was always proud to wear that G. I love going there, putting that G on my chest, walking around town, feeling proud, show everybody what's up. But now I get to wear all my national championship gear. Oh, it feels good, man. It feels really, really good. It's going to feel great in Jacksonville again. It's going to feel amazing in Knoxville. We have not been able to go to Knoxville wearing national championship gear. We played them and beat them in 2021. We had not won the title yet. So that's going to feel great. You guys know I hate Tennessee fans. So I love road trips, man. It's just fun. It's fun. It's quick getaway. Love it. So I'm happy to answer this question, Calvin. So uh, who would I like to see home and homes with? There's a couple of teams that come to mind for me. Now, honestly, most recently, fresh in my mind, sitting there and watching this game last week, Oregon and Washington. Dude, Washington, man, come on, go to Seattle, great city. You playing right there on the lake, gorgeous setting, a place you would never otherwise get to go. I mean, come on, that's gorgeous. I've always wanted to go to Oregon, to Austin Stadium. 
haven't been able to do that. We were supposed to do that, and they canceled that series, which really, really frustrated me. For a while, I'd always say Texas, but now we're going to do that. So I'm really excited about that game. Been awesome. I haven't obviously not been there for a Georgia game. That's going to be crazy awesome. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin is really, really, really high up there for me now. That's Wisconsin is not like a premier program. It's a good program, but Wisconsin, like Madison, I've never been there. I've always heard it's an incredible college town. So I desperately would want to go there. I'm actually very jealous of Alabama for one reason. They get to go to Wisconsin next year, and I'm very jealous of that. It's frustrating. Ohio State, Michigan would be two big ones. Penn State, those the, the to me would be the big three in the uh, in the Big Ten. Any of the probably the Big House would be the one I would want to go to most. I mean, I've never been to Ann Arbor. I by reputation, I hear that it's a better college town than any of those in the Big Ten. That at least among Ohio State and Penn State. So I would love to do that. But Ohio State's gonna be a lot of fun and forever what 10 years we're going to ucla in a couple years i'm not thrilled about that in fact i don't i'm not happy about that like going to the rose bowl a couple years ago that stadium's ridiculously hard to get to there's nothing to do there it sucks i'm not thrilled about that whatsoever i'm actually pissed we scheduled that game there's plenty of other places i'd rather go than ucla travel all the way across the country go to pasadena which i mean i never i look i know not everyone did the rose bowl that sounds like so entitled but i've i've done that man i've been there i've done i did it for the rose bowls like going to there for just a random ucla game is that going to be all that exciting no like I'll do it, but, you know, not super exciting there. So, yeah, I mean, I think Washington, Wisconsin, Michigan, probably my top three right now, currently, and that changes. That Like, I get fascinated by places. I see games. I'm like, oh, I would love to go there. Haven't been there. So, but those are probably my top three right now as we sit here. But, all right, guys, that was, uh, was fun, man. It was always fun to answer your questions. Hope I did a decent job at it. Charlie and I will be back at the end of the week with our, what are we, week eight, week nine? I don't even know what week we are now our picks of the week, okay? But uh, I do have to get out of here, guys. I got to run because I'd have to eat some dinner real fast before I head out to the uh, 40 Watt to go see Patton Oswalt. That's going to be a lot of fun. But thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate you. Charlie and I will be back and like, we're going to do our best, guys. We're going to try to have some winners for you this week. It's been tough, man, but uh, we're turning the corner this week, guys. We're turning the page. It's going to happen. We're, we're, we're going to start the hot streak. It's happening this week, so make sure to check in for that, guys. Fit for nothing less just to hear some good college football talk. But I appreciate you guys. Thank you for the questions. Thank you for being here. I'm Tyler, and as always... Go dogs!